How are we doing, Hope City Church? Good? It's good to see everyone. So glad that we get to be together. Just love being in church together. It's, um, it's fun. It's good. My name's Jason. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Hope City, and uh, we are uh, continuing or, or finishing, I should say, our series uh, today, Break the Cycle, and we're going to do that in just a few moments. But uh, before we do that, I, I want to just take a moment and, um, and just make sure that you are informed, fully informed about some really important things that are happening for our church that uh, we want to make sure that you know about. We feel like maybe this time in the service we have your undivided attention. And, uh, and so I just want to make sure because we say all the time that church is not just a service, church is a family, something to belong to. And I love the video that we just showed, just being a part of a church it's not just about going to church, it's about being a part of a church. And so there are a few things that are happening that we want to make sure uh, you are aware of and, and a part of. And so the first thing that's happening is our worship night. You've been hearing us talk about this, uh, but that's happening uh, this Sunday night. It's happening at Bullet Central High School uh, at 630. That's where our Shepherdsville location meets. If you haven't been down there, it's really a, a really great venue. Uh, and we sing songs together. Uh, we spend some time hanging out. I'll share a little bit, but really it's just a time for us to all be together because it's only really a few times a year that both locations can get together. And so that's what this is going to be. And so we'd love for you to be a part, uh, a part of that. The second thing that's going on is our growth group registration is open. You saw those tents and banners at both your locations when you were, when you were coming in. And so um, we are really wanting you and, and believing that being a part of a growth group would be, would be the best thing for you. Over 100 of you signed up for growth groups last week, and, uh, which is amazing, and uh, we really feel like we're already, uh, we actually are already about to break our attendance records for growth groups, but we, there's so many more of you, still st statistically, a lot of you who haven't made the decision to jump in yet. We want you to do that. We believe in growth groups. It's not just something we promote. I'm in a growth group. We believe in this. And, uh, and so we'd love for you to jump into that. But then the third thing I'm really, I mean, I'm excited about them all, but you know how you kind of, I don't know, I'm not ranking them, but I'm really excited about the third thing that's happening. And that is a new series that we're starting in two weeks called Made for Monday. Everybody say Made for Monday. Made for Monday. And uh, we're going to talk about four ways to love Jesus more and hate your job less. Come on, that's good. That's good. Uh, because I... I, as a pastor, people, it's good because people, you know, sometimes people bring you good news, but most of the time people like want to talk to you because they need advice or they're struggling or they, you know, think I've got like a, a magic connection to God somehow or whatever. And, uh, and, and I, I get a few conversations over and over again. And I would say that one of the top two always I get is I really am struggling with my job. I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate going to work. I hate where I work. I really wish I could do something else. I really wish I could pursue a passion. I, I just really struggle with my job. I hear it all the time. And I finally heard it so much that I told our team, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about how to love. You can love Jesus and hate your job, but wouldn't it be amazing if we could love Jesus more and hate our job less? And so that's what we're going to be doing. And that's going to start in, in two weeks. September the 5th is when that'll start. And, uh, and we've, we've got some, some fun things in store for that. going to take a whole month uh, to talk about it. Great series to bring somebody to from your job. Uh, Maybe your boss. I wouldn't know if I'd bring your boss. We're going to be talking about your boss. You can bring him, but probably not the first week. So, um, but yeah, no, it's going, to be, it's going to be a good time. 
and I would love for you to be a part of that. Made for Monday. You're going to be seeing some stuff online. Uh, help us spread the word, invite people. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be a really good time, okay? So we have been in this series that we've been calling Break the Cycle. Break the Cycle. And it's been a really good time together as we've been trying to answer this question, how do I stop acting like the person I don't want to be? How do I stop acting like the person that I don't want to be? It's a great question because all of us have admitted throughout this series that there is something, there's a hang-up, there's a hurt, there's a thought, there's a sin, there's a behavior, there's, there is something in our life that we wish we didn't have, we wish we didn't do, we wish we didn't keep coming back to over and over and over again. We wish there wasn't something that kept tripping us up over and over again or holding us back over and over again. Like, wouldn't it just be amazing if we could just, like, not deal with that anymore? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could just press stop and get out of that pattern of dysfunction and get out of that cycle? Uh, we, we've admitted throughout this series that, like, yeah, that's, that's me. I would love that. I know who I want to be. I think I know who God wants me to be. They're not the same person. I know what I do. I know what I want to do. They're not the same things. Man, couldn't, couldn't we do that? And we've been reading this scripture from Romans 7. The Apostle Paul wrote this amazing guy who loved God and was, you know, a very spiritual person. But we can relate to what he said. He said, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, inevitably I do what's wrong. How many people would say that? That's what I do. Yeah, how many people would say that? That's good, yeah. I had a couple donuts this morning, and I started the day with such good intention. But anyway, it's another sermon. I love God's law with all my heart. It's not, about, it's, not a, it's not a love thing. It's not a passion thing. There's another power within me that's at war with my mind. Let's look at the next one. This power that's at war with my mind makes me a slave. Like I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, there, there's, there's something that I, I can't seem to get away from. I'm a slave to this sin that's still within me. And then he says what all of us understand and have felt before. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. We know what that feels like. We know what it looks like to stare at ourselves in the mirror and think, what a miserable person I am. Step on a scale and say, what a miserable person I am. Wake up from a crazy Friday or a Saturday night that we swore we weren't going to do anymore and say, oh, what a miserable person I am. Get out of the bed of someone we swore we would never spend time with again and say, I'm such a miserable person. Slam the door after a fight with our spouse and get in the car and drive off and think, I'm such a miserable person. We know what that feels like, and so did the Apostle Paul. He says, who will free me? He asked the question from this life that is dominated, stuck by sin and death. He gives us the good news. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank God the answer is Jesus. Jesus gives us the power to break the cycle. So the bad news is that life can feel miserable when we're stuck in this pattern of dysfunction. But the good news is we don't have to be stuck in this pattern of dysfunction. We don't have to be bound in this cycle. We don't have to be a slave to sin because we can have Jesus, and Jesus breaks the cycle. So we spent the first two weeks really talking about the internal struggles. We would say below, beneath the surface type of stuff, that, that if, if our lives are anything like icebergs, then 90% of what happens happens beneath the surface 10% happens out in public for everybody else. And so if we wanted to talk about breaking the cycle, we had to talk about what was happening inside of us. And so we talked about our thoughts 
and our feelings, our thoughts and our feelings, how important our thinking is and how if we want to be a new person, it requires new thinking. But we, but we said you can't change the way you think until you know the way that you think. We got to think about our thoughts because for most of us, we, don't, we never really realized that we had a pattern of, of thinking. And, and, and each week, we've, we've taken this sponge. We've, this sponge kind of represents our life. And we said, you know, we don't even realize it, but if this sponge is our life and this bucket is our world, our home, our family, our parents, our teachers, our coaches, our neighborhood, you know, getting bullied at school or getting cut from a team or whatever it is, we never realized that we absorbed this way of thinking, this pattern of thinking in our lives, never realizing we were absorbing it. And then we got older and we started realizing that we had a pattern of thinking that was just starting to dominate our lives. Thoughts about the way we handle money, thoughts about the way that we resolve conflict, thoughts about the way that we, you know, work jobs or trust people. So we got to think about the way that we think. But it doesn't just stop there. We, we talked about feelings and how important feelings are. And we, we said this, that I do things I don't want to do because I feel things I don't want to feel. You do that. I do that. The feelings are so important because we, we do things we don't want to do because we feel things we don't want to feel. And we got to feel our feelings. We got to face our feelings. And we, we said that our patterns of dysfunction are really just our attempts to fix our feelings. We don't necessarily have to fix them. We just got to be honest about what they are, and we've got we've to face them. So, so thoughts and feelings, and today we're going to finish by talking about how we act. That's, the, that's kind of been the cycle, the pattern we've been talking about is thinking, feeling, and then acting. Because remember, we're trying to answer the question, how do you stop acting like the person you don't want to be? And this is kind of the, this is the cycle, the thinking, the feeling, and the acting. Because if I, if I think wrong, then I feel wrong, then I act wrong. Then I, then I think worse, then I feel worse, then I act worse, and on and on and on. And somewhere in there, we've got to break this cycle. And so now we come to this third part where we talk about changing our behavior. We're talking about changing our thoughts, talking about recognizing our feelings. But now we get to this part of changing our behavior. And the challenge about change is that change is hard. Change is hard. It's not something we enjoy talking about. It's not something we enjoy changing ourselves. And all of us have an identity that we have developed over the years. It's hard to change because we, you know, early in life the cement was still wet, you know, and, and you could kind of shape some things. But you reach a certain age or a certain point in life where to change is just so much harder than staying the same. It's just, it's just hard, and, and I think it would be safe to say that for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a little broad generalization here, but for the most part, we, we, we pretty much act like the person that we've been acting like for most of our life. And for the most part, we act like the person that we've always acted like. And maybe, you know, we lost some hair, or hair got gray, or maybe we had some kids, put on a little weight, lost a little weight, maybe we moved to a new state change neighborhoods, maybe make a little more money, maybe like a little less money, who knows? Maybe not as athletic as we used to be, but, but at our core, we pretty much act like the person that, that, we, that we've always acted like. And if we do make any attempts to change, it seems like it takes just one moment of our past 
One moment of history. It's like when like a, a song from high school comes on the radio. You know every word. It's been 20 years and you know every word. That's how it feels sometimes in your life when you're making progress to change. And then all of a sudden it's so easy to like slip right back into the way that you've always been. It's this identity that we have adopted. And we call it our personality. And it is our personality. And it's a real thing, but sometimes we talk about our personality like we're helpless. We talk about our behavior and our, and our personality and our identity like, well, it's just who I am. I, it's, who, it's, it's who I am. It's how I do it. This is just, take it or leave it, this is just who I am. We talk in a, in a way like we, we can't change. You know, We talk in a way like it would be silly to even try to change because this is just my personality. What's interesting is that, did you know that the root word for personality is persona or persona, depending on how you pronounce that, and, and that word just means mask? Did you know that? So really, we get the word personality from this idea that our personality is the mask that we wear. It, it, is, the, it, is, the, it is the person that we portray to people. It's the role that we play. I would say it like this. Maybe this is a little too simple, but I would say it like this, is that most of how I act is an act. That most of how you act is an act, right? We're all acting like a person. We're acting like somebody. Now, when I say act, don't think fake. Don't think fake. Think character. When somebody tells you they're an actor, you don't think, oh, you're fake. You just think they're playing a role, and they're a character. And so when I say that most of how we act is an act, I'm not saying that most of who you are is fake. I believe it's very real. What I'm saying is that most of who you are is a character that you play. It's a role that you play. It's a script that you read off of. It's, it's, a, it's lines that you have rehearsed. From an early age, you started acting like the person that you believed you were. Let me say that again. From an early age, early age, world you grew up in, you started believing that you were a certain type of person. You, you began to, uh, through absorbing things and feeling feelings, you begin to adopt a belief about an identity and a personality, and now what comes out of you is really the, the script that you decided that you were going to start to start reading, right? But how, how did we get that? How did we become who we are? Where did that belief come from? If we, if we act like the person that we believe we are, where did we get that belief? Where did that identity come from? Where, where did that personality really begin to form? I think it comes really kind of three ways. I want to give these to you before we jump into the, the Bible today. But I, I think that we get our identity in, in, in three different ways. The first way that we get our identity is that, is that sometimes our identity is assigned to us, right? It's assigned to us. For some people, it is literally the name that they call you. I mean, it's that assigned to you. Maybe you had a nickname growing up, like, you know, Big John, because you were big. So your identity became that you're big, you know, or, or, or maybe it was literally what your name, the meaning of a name. Or maybe it was just what people began to say about you. It was words that began to be associated with you. Crazy, funny, smart, 
It was, it was something that was a sign. Maybe it wasn't words. Maybe it was modeled for you. Maybe things happened in your home or with your family, and you didn't know that it wasn't normal. And so when it came time for you to act a certain way, you just acted the way that it was assigned for you to act because it would have been too strange for you to not act like everybody else. And so for a lot of us, our identity is assigned. I, can, can I give you an example? In, in our family, uh, when I say our family, I mean my extended family on my dad's side, there's a joke that Isaacs uh, are, are loud, right? And that if I was to bring my grandfather, my dad, my brother, or any of my uncles up here to preach for you, they'd all sound like this right here. This is what we all sound like. We're loud and a little bit weird when we talk about, uh, not weird, but, you know, just like a little bit spastic when we start talking. It's just an Isaacs thing. It was something that, I mean, I guess I could have been a quiet kid, but not, not when the, you got you to gotta interrupt somebody to get a word in with the Isaacs, so you learn that's what you do. Maybe, maybe you're familiar with that, but it was, it was something that was assigned to you. But it's not just a sign. Let me, let me tell you kind of a, a second way that our identity gets formed is, is that things begin to be affirmed in you. Maybe it's not necessarily what they call you or what was modeled for you. Maybe it's how you started behaving and acting. And when you did those things, you got more feedback than anything else that you did in your life. Good and, good and bad. I mean, we can give good and bad examples. If I wanted to use the Isaacs example again, when I began to follow Jesus, that was so affirmed in me because that's kind of what they wanted for me. That's what I wanted for me. That's who we were. When I decided or felt like I was called to ministry and decided I was going to preach my first sermon, it was terrible, but not to the people who were closest to me. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. You were so good. You're so, you caught whatever it is because they were affirming, and there was something being shaped in me that says, this is who I am. This is what I do. But it's also not always positive, right? Maybe the behavior that was affirmed in you was cynicism, being critical, Maybe it was an addiction, a substance. Maybe it was fighting, conflict. Maybe you were always good with kids, and so from an early age, what was affirmed with you is like, you're going to be a great mom. You're going to be a great mom. You're going to be a great mom. You never thought about a career. You never thought about a future. You never thought about wanting to do anything because in your head you thought, I just want to be a mom because that's what's affirmed. Nothing wrong with that, but if you're wondering how you got that way, it's because that your being good with kids was most affirmed in you, Right? Maybe it was sports or athletics. When you hit the ball, people cheered unlike any other way that they cheered for you. Maybe it was your intelligence. When you brought home the report card, you got more praise for those grades than anything else that you did. And so your brain and your heart begin to figure out, you know what, when I act like this, people like me more. When I act like this, I get attention. When I'm the person at the party on the table dancing and acting crazy, you know, double fisting the drinks, everybody says, oh, they're so fun, they're so amazing. So that's what's affirmed in me, and that's what I'm going to do. And I would be willing to bet if you started looking back on your behavior and your patterns and your cycles, you would begin to identify things that at some point in your past were very affirmed in you. Because anything that gets repeated is rewarded. Anything that you're repeating, somewhere in there is getting rewarded. That's why you, you do it. And, and, and so that's, that's one of the ways. But then there's a third way is that not, sometimes it's a sign, sometimes it's, it's affirmed. But eventually at some point it's accepted. You accept it. This is who I am. This is what I do. At some point through being assigned, at some point through 
being affirmed. There comes a point in your life where you accept an identity. This is who I am. I'm sarcastic. I'm mean. I'm a drunk. I'm bitter. I'm funny. I'm successful. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a driven employee. I'm good with money. I'm not good with details. You begin to accept an identity. And once you accepted that identity, that's who you started acting like. You started acting like the person that you believe that you are. Well, the good news is that if most of how we act is an act, that means that if we don't like the way that we're acting, we can act like somebody else. Again, not fake, just character. If we don't like the way that we act, we can act like somebody else. I don't have to live the life that was assigned to me or the life that was affirmed in me or the life that I accepted. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that I can live a new life. I don't have to be the person that I've always been told I was, celebrated for being, or believed that I was. So how do we change? How do we change? Okay, you convince me, Jason. I don't want to be that. I don't want to act that way. You just, I'm supposed to act like somebody else. How do I do that? How do I change my behavior? Because I've tried before. I've tried before. I've tried everything but like shock therapy. That's next on the list. I can't figure out how, how to change. Well, I wanna, we're going to use a couple of verses um, from the book of Ephesians. If you got a sermon guy when you came in, you can grab that. There's some page numbers on there. There's a Bible uh, in the seat in front of you, underneath the seat in front of you, or in your seat. Um, you can grab that. But it's Ephesians chapter 4. And there's, it really, we're going to start at verse 20. I'm going to read you something really quick before then, but, but we're going to start at verse 20, and then we're going to read to verse 31, and, and we're going to read this passage that is filled with just gold advice, just million-dollar advice for how we can change. So I'm going to meet you at verse 20, but I want to just read this to you real quick from verse 17, same chapter, Ephesians 4, 17. Paul's writing, and he says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, which we don't have to get caught up in that. In other words, he's just saying, stop acting like them. Stop acting like that, which is what we're saying. For they are hopelessly confused. So everything that we're about to read comes off of Paul's statement, stop acting like them. Stop being normal. Normal's not healthy. Stop being normal. Stop acting like them. And then we're going to start at 20, and we're going to read all the way down to the end of that chapter together. Here's what it says. 21, excuse me. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. 
Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This is just such a, an amazing passage. If, if you could see my Bible, I know you're probably too far away, but if you could see my Bible, I've got all these circles in here from, from just reading through this and all the advice that Paul gives us for, for how we can change. What does it take to change? What does it take to change old habits, old patterns, old cycles of dysfunctional behavior? I believe in these verses we read, there's seven. And in order to get through seven, I got to go fast, okay? So I'm just going to kind of just throw spaghetti at the wall, okay? We'll just see what happens and see what sticks to your heart, all right? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you seven of these, so if you're a note taker, write fast, okay? Um, but how do we change? How do we change old habits, change old patterns, cycles of behavior? Let me give you the first one, straight out of what we just read. Number one, change requires Jesus. Change requires Jesus. Look at verse 20. We just read it together. He says, since you've heard about Jesus, not, you know, yoga, you know, not exercise, not even therapy. I go to therapy, love me some therapy, not, you know, keto, you know, not, like he doesn't give all these things that promise to change old patterns of behavior, right? He says, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Jesus, if it's not coming from Jesus, it may be helpful, but it's not always guaranteed to be true. But with Jesus, it's always true. Always true. You learn the truth that comes from him. Throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life. You cannot throw off an old, sinful, former way of life without Jesus. And this, We got to start here. Because I'm going to give you some more. And they're good and they're helpful. But it starts with Jesus. We say at Hope City Church, we share real hope so people can have real life. Real life only comes from Jesus. Jesus said that he came so that we could have life and have life more abundantly. You can have some good seasons, good moments. You can enjoy blessings. You can have positive experiences, but you will never truly live until you live a life committed to Jesus Christ. You won't. You gotta have Jesus to throw off a former sinful way, sinful way of life. See, the gospel message is not what can, you know, I do for Jesus. The gospel message is what, can, what does Jesus do for me? And Jesus makes us a brand new person. And I bring this up because I, I know that so many of you, you love this church, you love what we do, you love the experience you have, we work hard at it, we love it. You hear me say this a lot, I wanna make sure you know this. Coming to church is amazing, but it's not what's going to help you change a former sinful way of life. You need to get in a growth group, but that's not what's going to change an old sinful way of life. You know what's going to change an old sinful way of life? Jesus. When you say to Jesus, I've tried it my way, my way don't work. Every time I try it my way, I make it worse. And so I'm committing my life to Jesus. I need you, Jesus. 
I realize I am a sinner. I realize that I am broken. I realize that I am not living. I want to live for you. And I commit my life to you. Maybe, maybe today, th- this is your day. Maybe that's going to happen for you today when you'd say, you know what? Yeah, I'm ready. You're going to throw that hand up and say, I want to commit my life to Jesus. And it's not throwing up your hand that commits your life to Jesus, but it's just a step to say, I am raising my hand to admit I need Jesus. And when you commit to Jesus Christ, he begins to change your old sinful. It's a process. But he begins to change your old, sinful, former way of life. So number one, change requires Jesus. But let me give you another one. You can be writing these in on your sermon guide. How do I change? Number two, change requires a desire to change. Change requires a desire to change. This is in verse 22. We just read uh, some of this together. You've heard about Jesus. Look at some of these words that Paul uses. He says, throw off your sinful nature, and your former way of life, which means that you want your way of life to be your former way of life. You're not going, I don't know. I mean, I kind of like it. I mean, you know, it's not all bad. Now, you got to be like, man, I'm disgusted by my former way of life. I want it to be my former way of life, and I'm willing to throw it off. I'm willing to throw it off. And he says, which is corrupted, because that's the way former life is. Love, it's corrupted. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Another action, put on your new nature. These are all words that, that convey to us that Jesus did the hard work on the cross, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to do some work. That we, there, there has to be enough desire to change in us that we would say, you know what? I'm going to throw this life off of me. I want my way of life to be my former way of life. I'm going to put on a new nature. And so you got to really ask yourself, do I want to change? Or am I saying I want to change because somebody else wants me to change? Am I saying I want to change because I feel guilty, but I don't really want to change? Am I saying I want to change because I got in trouble and I don't want to be in trouble anymore, but I don't really want to change? Or does my cycle and pattern of dysfunction and sin so disgust me that I'm willing to throw away anything that I need to throw away, disassociate with anything I need to disassociate with, and put on anything that I need to put on so that I can be out of this cycle and pattern? Some people would call it rock bottom. You can call it whatever you want. It's just when you decide that the pain of, of staying the same is worse than the pain of changing. I'm willing to do what I said I would never be willing to do because I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to do these things anymore. So I need Jesus, and I need a desire to change. But now let me give you, let me give you five more that kind of are some, some, some habits or actions or patterns of of behavior change for us. How do I change? Number three, Paul told us change requires honesty. Change requires honesty. And it's in verse 25. He says, pretty matter of fact here, I don't know how you translate this in the Greek, but I think it means stop telling lies. So stop telling lies. Don't be a liar, bro, is what Paul is saying. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. We're all parts of the same body. You, you, you will never heal what you're hiding. 
You'll never fix what you're faking. You're never, you're never going to fix what you won't face. I mean, we could keep going through these things that change requires honesty. And one of the biggest lies that the devil convinces us is that we'll change in secret. We'll change in secret. Don't bring anybody else into it. You can handle it yourself. Just make a commitment to yourself, and in private, you'll get it all together. That won't happen because change doesn't happen without accountability and honesty. And when you meet Jesus and when you have a real desire to change, there comes a point where you're not worried about embarrassment. You're not worried about, you know, losing people. You've got to get these things in your life that are in the dark out into the light, out into the open. Maybe it's being honest with somebody else. Maybe it's being honest with yourself. Maybe you've got to stop lying to yourself, telling yourself it's not that bad, telling yourself that you'll get it together in, in secret. You've got to stop telling lies. Honesty is a requirement for change. As long as you feel like you're not doing that bad or you don't need to change. As long as you're not being honest about where you are, you will never feel the need to change. So we gotta be honest. But let me give you number four. How do, how do I change? Paul tells us change requires letting go of anger. This may sound a little bit out of the norm. When you look at the list of the seven, this is the one that maybe seems a little bit uh, not the advice you would normally get, but it's in verse 26. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. You know, anger's always the boss. Do you know that? We never control our anger. Anger always controls us. Because if you could control it, you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't choose it. You don't want to punch a wall. You don't want to slam a door. But anger's always the boss. And so he says, like, don't let anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Anger Here's why this is so important. Here's why if, we're, if, if you want to change, you got to let go of anger because anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger is a trap that your foot is stuck in, and you will not move forward as long as your foot is stuck in that trap. The reason that anger is so powerful in your life is because anger is holding on to the past. At whatever point you decided to hold on to anger, that is the moment in your life where you stopped making progress. Because you can't move forward as long as you're holding on to the past. So if it was when your parents told you they were getting a divorce when you were 7, 8, 12, 14 years old, and you're still angry about that, that's when you stopped making progress, stopped growing. If it's when somebody got a job opportunity you didn't get, if it's when a spouse walked out on you, if it's when somebody hurt you in your life, if it's when you got mad at God, whatever point you decided this Anger is important enough to not let go of. That is the moment you decided, I don't want to grow anymore, I don't want to change anymore, and I don't want to make progress. And I'm not saying that what happened to you was not terrible. I'm not saying that, that what you are frustrated with God about doesn't have legitimate merits. I'm not saying that somebody who said awful things to you didn't truly hurt you. What I'm telling you is that if you don't, decide to let go of anger, anger will control you. And you will just be an angry person. You'll be an angry person, and you will be stuck in a, in a trap. Your leg will be stuck, stuck in a trap. 
And every time you get motivated in a church service or in a Bible study or in a group, you'll feel something in your heart say, that's it, let's go. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to get out of this cycle. I'm ready to let go. And you decide to take a step, you're going to realize you can't get very far. Because anger has you stuck. And so I don't know if you've ever thought of it before, but maybe what is holding you back Maybe you think your cycle and your pattern of dysfunction is about some kind of behavior over here, but maybe your cycle and your pattern is the divorce that you went through that you never let go of, or the betrayal you never let go of, or the abuse you never let go of, or the, or the tragedy that you never forgave God for, and you're stuck. You got to let go of anger. That's what Paul said. Let me, give you, let me give you another one. Number five, how do I change? Change requires good work. That's what we read. Look at verse 28. He says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. That's just free advice right there for everybody. Instead, <laughs> instead, use your hands for good work. And then give generously to others in need. Use your hands for good work. It's amazing how easy it is to, to not do a bad thing when you're busy doing a good thing. It's so amazing how easy it is to say no to a bad temptation when you're in the middle of doing a good thing, right? I remember, this is not the perfect example, but I, it's close, so let's just go with it here. I remember when I was a junior in high school, I had failed a couple of classes. It's a whole other story. And uh, I had to go to night school. My, my junior year of high school, in order to graduate, I had to get another math credit, and I couldn't take any more classes that semester. And so my counselor worked it out for me to drive 25 minutes to the other side of town in Atlanta to go to night school, which is where all the kids that got in trouble were going. And, uh, and so that was where I went. And so I would leave school every day, and I would drive to this night school, and I would be there two and a half hours, and then I would get in my car, and I would go home, and I would eat dinner, and I would do my homework, and I would go to bed. I did that for about three months. Can I tell you that that semester was like one of the greatest semesters of my life? I got in less trouble than I had ever gotten into before. I, I was so not distracted. And it wasn't because like I was like spending a lot of time with Jesus. I just didn't have time to do anything else. I didn't have time to, to say yes to bad things. And so sometimes when we've tried everything that we can, uh, discipline and, 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 you know, and, and blocking our eyes and gritting our teeth, we've tried everything we can to, to say no to bad things. Sometimes it's not about trying harder to say no. It's just about doing good things. One of the best things you can do is go on a mission trip or go build a house for Habitat for Humanity or go mow your neighbor's yard or go watch your friend's kids for free or or, or go, do, go spend money on somebody else. Take a, take a relative to buy school clothes or, or whatever it is. And while you're doing something good, I promise you, you won't be thinking about missing out on something bad. It's the power of using your hands and your life for good, hard work. When you're serving food at a homeless shelter, you are not thinking about your next hit. When you're serving food at a homeless shelter, you are not thinking about your next bad decision. You are just in the moment of good work. So maybe, maybe the issue for the cycle and the pattern you're stuck in is not saying no more. Maybe it's saying yes more. Just saying yes to good things. Good things. Let me, let me give you another one. We're, we're getting close here. How do I change number six? 
Paul said change requires a different language. Different language. Verse 29, he says it like this. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. It's really hard to be a new person with an old language. It's really hard to be an old person uh, talking the same way you've always talked. And I would be willing to bet that if there are areas of your life that are dysfunctional, patterns and cycles of behavior in your life that are dysfunctional, everything we've talked about is good. Everything we talk about works. But this is such a powerful and overlooked idea and principle that, that if you, let's say that the pattern of dysfunction in your, in your life is your home, it's your marriage. How would it change your home and your marriage if every word that came out of your mouth was good and helpful? You're like, oh, we wouldn't talk. Okay, well, that's a start. We'll start right there. We'll just be quiet. <laughs> you know? But if we just made the decision. If, if I hate my job and I can't get out of this pattern, cycle, and career, what if everything you said about your job and everything you said while you were at your job was just good and helpful? Good and helpful. Maybe you're frustrated with your church right now. Maybe it's not how it used to be, or somebody hurt your feelings, and so it's easy to be negative and cynical. What if every word that came out of your mouth about your church was good and helpful? You know what you would find? Is that you just, it would be constant encouragement. Your spouse would feel encouraged. Your coworkers would feel encouraged. Your boss would feel encouraged. Your pastors and, and leaders would feel encouraged. But what we do so often is we say, man, I really need to change but we don't change what we say. And we use an old language. So I really want God to change my marriage, but I mean, I wish he'd hurry up because this guy's a bum. I really wish God would change my job and he needs to hurry up because these people are idiots. It doesn't work that way. It's not magic. It's not a genie in a bottle. I'm not saying you just say good things and good things happen, but I'm saying there is power in the words that come out of your mouth. And usually the people in your life live up to your words or down to your words, almost always. So let everything you say, if you want to change, change the way you talk and let everything that you say be good and helpful. Let me give you one more. How do I change? Last one, number seven. Change requires forgiveness. Forgiveness. This goes a little bit with letting go of anger. But you know, anger is not always about the hurt that's happened to you. A lot of times anger is just maybe feeling owed or... Um, it's not always conflict necessarily. A lot of our anger is actually so internal, we don't even really know where it came from or started from, but, but forgiveness is different. Forgiveness is an interaction. Forgiveness requires another person. And this is what he says, Paul says in verse 31, he says, get rid, that's another action word, like it's on me, my responsibility, like, like, like that God doesn't get rid of it for me, somehow I gotta kind of get rid of all the bitterness Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is going to sound harsh, and you're not going to want to believe me, but just process it for a second before you reject it, okay? If you are unwilling to forgive someone, that means you believe that there are things bad enough that can't be forgiven. And if you believe that, 
you'll never be able to accept forgiveness for God because you'll believe that you've done things bad enough that can't be forgiven. See, the reason that forgiving one another and God forgiving you is so intertwined is because in order to receive God's forgiveness, you have to believe that anything is forgivable because you know you and you know what you've done. And so if you look at somebody who did something to you and you can't forgive them, whether you realize it or not, you are telling yourself that there are things that are unforgivable and maybe God can't forgive me. People who truly believe that they have been forgiven by God forgive others. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you get over it and move on and, you know, you just, you know, always positive. Of course. Sometimes forgiveness is a daily decision. Of course. But you will never break free from cycles and patterns of dysfunction and sin as long as you are holding on to hurt that someone has done to you. And maybe what is holding you back is a hurt or something in your life, something that somebody did to you, said to you, didn't say to you. And you keep saying to God, no, God, this one's mine right here. I'm not letting this go. But you're stuck. You're stuck. Change requires forgiveness. So what would you act like if you stopped acting like the person you're acting like right now? I'm just curious. If you couldn't act like an addict, what would you act like? I'm not talking about fake. I'm talking about character, role, script. If you couldn't act like the person you act like every weekend, what would you act like? If you couldn't act like a bitter, angry spouse, what would you act like? If you couldn't act like a fearful person, what would you act like? See, the good news is that if most of how I act is an act, I can act differently. I can play a different role. I can believe a new identity about myself. And so I just want to, we're kind of putting a bow on this whole thing. I just want to finish with this challenge for you. You don't have to act like the person that people say that you are. You don't. You don't have to act like the person that people say that you are. I don't care what's been assigned to you. I don't care what your reputation is. I don't care what somebody said to you or what, they, or what they, you know, modeled for you. That's not who you have to be. But let me show you the next one. You don't have to act like the person that you tell yourself that you are. Because we can all admit that, like, we're our biggest barrier. And so, yeah, there were people who assigned things to us and modeled things to us. And, and I get that, and that's a real thing. But we also don't have to act like the person that we keep telling ourselves that we are. That we keep looking in the mirror and saying, this is who I am. This is who I, you know, it's just the way it is. This is how God made me. This is who I am. You do not have to act like the person that God tells you, or that you tell yourself that you are. This is the good news. This is the challenge. That I can act like the person that God tells me I am. 
I don't have to act like the person that people say that I am, and I don't have to act like the person that I keep telling myself that I am. If I want to, I can act like the person that God tells me that I am. God says you have purpose. God says that you are loved. God says that he's proud of you. God says that you're an overcomer. God says that you can live a free life, a victorious life. God says that you are salt and light. God says that people look to you for influence and, for, and to see what, it like, what it's like to follow Jesus. God says that he wants to spend time with you. God says that he hears you when you pray. God says that you don't have to be afraid. God says that you don't have to worry. That's who God says you can act like. So if you don't want to act like the person that you're acting like right now, the person you don't want to be, act like somebody else. Act like somebody else. If you're acting like the dad who cares more about his career than his kids, start acting like a dad who cares more about his kids than his career. If you're acting like somebody who's afraid, act like somebody who's courageous. If you're acting like somebody who's filled with doubt, act like somebody who's filled with faith. You know what you begin to find? Is that the more you begin to act like the person you want to be, that's the person you're going to become. Because our answer is Jesus Christ. And he helps us break the cycle. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus Thank you that Jesus on the cross broke the cycle and pattern of sin and death in our life. Thank you, God, that when you looked out into eternity and saw our life and saw the sin and saw the, the traps and, and all the things that hold us back, you still looked at us and said we were worth dying for, and so you sent Jesus. So, God, I pray today, that we would stop trying to fix ourselves, stop trying to break our patterns and our cycles, and we would look to Jesus. We would stop trying to act like the person that people say that we are, and we would stop acting like the person that we keep telling ourselves that we are, and we would start acting like the person, God, that you say we are. Thank you grace and second and tenth and hundredth chances and a chance to start again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.